use their miracles and their deceptive wonders to draw the kings of the earth and their armies uh, together for one last final battle. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. The name Armageddon comes from two Hebrew words, Har Megiddo. The word Har means hill. So uh, the hill of Megiddo. The word Megiddo literally means place of troops or place of slaughter. This place is also called the Plain of Estrelon and also the Valley of Jezreel. It's about 14 miles wide and 20 miles long and forms what Napoleon called the most natural battlefield of the whole earth. Now, I have stood on Mount Carmel several times. And I have to tell you, it's a pretty breathtaking sight to look over the, out over the Plain of the Valley of Jezreel to see this incredible level area, 14 miles wide, 20 miles long, it is the most natural battlefield in all the world. It's perfect for battle. And many battles have been fought there, many battles. We know that it was on this very place that Barak defeated the armies of Canaan in, in Judges 5, where Gideon met the Midianites there in Judges 7, where King Saul was killed in 1 Samuel 31. We know Titus and the Roman army used this natural corridor, as did the Crusaders in the Middle Ages. British General, uh, General Allenby used it when he had defeated the Turks in 1917. I mean, it's been the place of many, many battles. Now, the kings of the earth who are being drawn to this place for one final battle, the great battle of God, they're coming for their own reasons. But behind it all, they don't realize they're being manipulated by the devil to come to this place, right? They think it's their idea. Well, you know, they're in such bondage to the devil and the Antichrist and the false prophet. They've opened themselves up so much to his authority and so on. Now they're just puppets in his hand. Now, the question is, well, wait a minute. You mean to tell me the devil is working for the purposes of God? Does, doesn't he know why these God is drawing these kings and these armies into the valley of Megiddo? Doesn't, he, doesn't the devil know what's going to happen here? Sure he does. Well, why is he going along with it? The devil knows, starting in chapter 12, as he's kicked out of heaven, he comes down to the earth having what? Great wrath, because he knows he's got what? Only a short time left. He knows he's going down. But you know how that works. He's going to take with him as many people as possible. It's like the person whose life is absolutely miserable, 
so they decide to end it. But for whatever sick, perverted, demonic reason, they're going to take a whole bunch of innocent people with them. So they go into a crowded mall and they just start blowing people away. Why? I mean, I, I, I don't want to see anybody kill themselves, but if that's what you're bound and determined to do, why do you want to take a bunch of innocent people with you? Because you want to spread your misery. You're miserable, so you want to make other people miserable. And that's the devil. I mean, you know, he, some people think he's, he's, act, he's actually insane. Now, I don't think a spirit being could be insane, like we would define insanity. Uh, I, I don't think, because they don't have physical brains, that they can have chemical imbalances like people that are truly insane have. But he knows he's going down, and he knows that this battle is going to be God's judgment upon these Christ-rejecting nations. I mean, he can read. I mean, I don't know how he couldn't read the Bible like we read it and not know what's coming. So he has no choice, really. I mean, he's just working now to fulfill the purposes of God because really in his mind, what choice does he have? He's going down. He's going to take as many people with him as possible. Of course, the kingdoms of the earth, they have been convinced by the Antichrist that they can go to war against God and win. See, that's their motivation. Back in third, chapter 13, when the Antichrist uh, has his pseudo-resurrection, it says the whole world is going to marvel after this guy and say, who is like the beast? Who can make war with him? See, they were enamored with this guy before. Now it turns into full-blown worship. This, they think this guy's God. He has miraculous abilities. Nobody can kill him. He, he must be God. And if he leads us in the battle against the Lord himself, well, we can win. That's how deceived the people of this world are. One uh, commentator said, The Gentile nations will look on Armageddon as a battle, but to God it will only be a supper for the falls of the air who will eat the flesh of the dead bodies of the Lord, ones the Lord is going to slay in this battle. Of course, the out outcome of this battle is recorded in chapter 19, as we'll get to it, um, when the Lord returns and defeats his enemies. But um, that brings us to the seventh and final bowl of judgment. Verse 17, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. Now, this is the last plague of the last series of judgments of the three groups of seven. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. This is the final bowl judgment of the seven, which means we are right at the end of the seven-year period. This happens right before, during, or right after the Battle of Armageddon. It's so close, right around that area of time. And this bowl is poured out, God's wrath is poured out upon the air, the atmosphere of the earth. That's interesting because it brings to mind what we've been studying in Ephesians 2, how that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. The Greek word for air there means lower atmosphere, the place where people live. Uh, the, the atmosphere that we live in and breathe in and so on, the, what affects people. It's loaded with demonic entities. I believe there's a, there is a network. Uh, we talk about, you know, the, uh, the web, right? The worldwide, you know, this should tip people off. The worldwide web, 
you know, the internet. I mean, you know, <laughs> the devil is using things to kind of trap people and, you know, indoctrinate them and, and, and so on. And, and the internet's one of those things. Not that I'm saying that all use of the internet is evil. It's like a, the internet's like a, a, a major city. In any major city, there's good parts of town and bad parts of town. You determine what parts of town you're going to hang out in. That determines whether that city for you is good or it's bad. Internet's neutral. But the devil is using it big time. And I think he's using it primarily with pornography, uh, stumbling many men. But women are not exempt either. A lot of women are going into chat rooms and falling in love with people online and leaving their husbands and kids. I've seen numerous examples of this. But I believe there's a network of demonic entities spread across this planet that are connected, that Satan is in constant communication with. I believe he communicates with these demonic entities through the speed of thought. And they do his bidding. And they are joined together in this demonic network, which is just the devil's way of influencing the entire world into his way of thinking. But Paul described him in Ephesians 2 as, the prince of the power of the air or the ruler of the kingdom of the air. What is this final judgment really, though? What does it look like, you know, if we were standing on the earth at this time? What is, how is this going to look from a physical standpoint? Well, we don't know. When God judges, and, and, and this is, of course, poured out against the devil, his kingdom. He's the prince of the power of the air, so this is the final judgment poured out on his kingdom. But some think it may take the form of a nuclear Judgment. Pastor Ray Stedman believes this. He said, This judgment, particularly coming as it does on the heels of the Battle of Armageddon, probably describes the effect of nuclear warfare, which would release vast clouds of poisonous radiation upon the earth. So it may well be that the final bowl of God's judgment is tipped by the finger of man himself, a finger that is even at this moment poised over the nuclear button. In our high-speed, high-tech, ballistic age, mankind, humankind is never more than a few minutes away from potential doom, end quote. Could be. We read in chapter 19 that when Jesus comes, he is going to slay the armies that are gathered together to go to war against him with the sword that proceeds out of his mouth. I just think it's a supernatural thing. Uh, you know, the sword that proceeds out of his mouth is a reference to the word of God, right? The same word that spoke the universe into existence that holds all things in the universe together by the word of his power. I mean, this the Lord, he's got power that's unlimited. I just envision these people just exploding, you know? Kind of like, you know, uh, what is it, uh, Crusaders of the Lost Ark, you know, that one last scene where, you know, you know, the, the, the enemies of God, you know, look into the Ark of the Covenant and they just blow up. I mean, I, I wouldn't doubt if it's something like that. I mean, you imagine all these people, and we've said that there's a, just to give you an estimate, maybe at this time, there's 2 billion people left on the face of the earth. Maybe. If 10% gathered for the Battle of Armageddon, that'd be 200 million people. Can you imagine 200 million people just exploding? I mean, the blood would run 200 miles, you know, throughout the valley, all the way down from Megiddo down to Basra. I mean, it's amazing to think about Verse 17, though, ends, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. Now, this voice is not identified for us, but I believe it's the voice of Jesus. 
Jesus is the judge. The, he said in John 5 that uh, the Father has committed to the Son all judgment. So Jesus is the one who is giving the word to pour out these judgments, especially the bold judgments upon the earth, which are judging the people who have rejected him in preparation for him coming back to establish his kingdom on the earth. But he's the judge. And uh, he concludes by saying, it is done. It kind of, it's kind of reminiscent of his final words from the cross, right? In John 19.30, where he said, it is what? It is finished. Different Greek word. That Greek word is tetelestai. And literally means paid in full. This is a different Greek word. Simply means it's done. The judgment has been completed. It's in the perfect tense in the Greek. What does that mean? An act that, uh, an act that happened in the past, but its effects will continue indefinitely into the future. Just like the blood of Christ, God's Son continually cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You accepted Jesus Christ at one point in the past, but the effects of that relationship go on and on and on, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, continually cleanses you and I from all unrighteousness. That's why I say for that and many, many other reasons, once you're saved, you're saved forever. You're saved forever. Because you're in Christ. And the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from all unrighteousness. One author said, God's judgment of Christ on Calvary provided salvation for repentant sinners. The judgment of the seventh bull brings doom to unrepentant sinners. So, you know, either you're going to benefit from the words of Jesus on the cross, it is finished, which means your salvation has been purchased if you want it. Or you're going to have to someday be the recipient of the words it has done in the sense that judgment is going to be poured out. And that judgment will be for eternity, of course, stretching into hell forever. Now, there is one final judgment left, and we'll study about that judgment in chapter 20, the great white throne judgment. So I'm going to leave all further comments about judgment, resurrection, uh, of the unrighteous until we get to that point. We'll take a little look at resurrection, just looking at the resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous and so on. Uh, verse 18, And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. That's quite a statement. Now, we just went through a little earthquake a few days ago. 5.2. Ooh, and, you know, we were like, wow. Did you feel that? Hey, I was in California about eight years ago for the biggest earthquake they had in 40 years. I'm telling you, it's, uh, it's frightening when all of a sudden terra firma becomes terra unfirma or, you know, infirma, where the ground begins to just shake underneath you. It's just really wild experience. But even that cannot even begin to compare what's, what's going to happen in the future. This is the greatest earthquake the earth is ever going to see. So great, it's going to split the earth. It's going to knock it off its axis. Uh, Isaiah 24, verses 19 and 20. God talks about this earthquake. He says, The earth is violently broken. The earth is split, split open. The earth is shaken exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard. It shall totter like a hut. Its transgression shall be heavy upon it, and it will fall and not rise again. It's going to actually, uh, like a top that's been spinning and now starts to wobble and then just flips. 
That's going to be the earth. You can imagine uh, what that's going to mean on the earth. Verse 19. Now the great city was divided from this great earthquake into three parts. The first effect of this incredible earthquake is that the great city is going to be split into three parts. Some people believe that the great city is a reference to the Babylon, which is called Babylon the Great, but that's called Babylon the Great later on in verse 19, which God seems to single out Babylon, distinguishing it from this other city, which is also called the great city. Okay, uh, What is this great city mentioned here? Well, turn back to uh, chapter 11, verse 8. It's talking about when the Antichrist kills the two witnesses. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So what are we talking about? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, this massive earthquake is going to split Jerusalem into three parts. And listen, it's going to begin a series of geophysical alterations to the city and the surrounding region that is going to conclude when Jesus returns. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but in Zechariah 14, verses 4 through 10, it describes these changes to the earth that's going to happen prior to Christ's return. The Mount of Olives is going to split in two. Uh, actually, when Jesus does return and puts his foot on the Mount of Olives as he returns to the earth, it's going to split in two. And a new valley is going to run from east and west. Uh, it's going to be created at that point. Uh, there's going to be a spring of water from that point that's going to flow from Jerusalem down into the Mediterranean Sea, but also into the Dead Sea. And when the waters of this spring hit the waters of the Dead Sea, they're going to heal them. And it's going to cause the desert to blossom like a rose. And fish are going to be now going to be living in the Dead Sea, which if you've been to the Dead Sea like I have, there's, it's dead. There's not even a microbe that lives in there. But it's going to be healed. And the Bible talks about in the Millennial Kingdom, fishermen are going to are going to be fishing down there and, and spreading their nets uh, to dry down there. It's going to be wonderful. The desert is going to be like a, a tropical paradise. But also, Jerusalem is going to be elevated, and the surrounding region is going to be flattened into a plain. This earthquake doesn't judge Jerusalem. It actually enhances it. Verse 19 goes on to say, And the cities of the nations fell. All the cities of all the nations fell. We're talking Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, Paris, London, Rome. I mean, all over the world, cities are going to come crashing down. Verse 19 goes on to say at the end there, And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Now, Babylon, and many people disagree as to what this is talking about. I'm not going to get into it tonight, because we'll get into it starting next week. Babylon. Uh, what exactly are we talking about? A lot of differences of opinion. We know that whatever Babylon is, whether it's literal Babylon that's been rebuilt in Iraq, or some other major city of the world that becomes the headquarters for the Antichrist, God is going to target that, called Babylon, and he's going to destroy it. And the downfall of Babylon is uh, talked about in more detail in chapter 17 and 18. That's why I say we'll wait till we get there to really look at it. Uh, verse 20. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. This final earthquake 
is yes to judge uh, people on the earth, but it's also to prepare the earth for the millennial reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, with that in mind, you have to realize that this earthquake changes the topography of the earth, not just the area, the whole earth. It says every island fled away. All the mountains were leveled. Islands are just mountains in the sea, right? In the ocean. The whole world is going to be flattened out like it was before the flood. When great cataclysmic upheavals, it wasn't just the windows of heaven that got opened, it was the fountains of the deep that he broke up. That's where most of the water came from. When the fountains of the deep were broken up, I mean, great cataclysmic upheaval happened on the earth. Mountains were formed, okay? And, and you had all these changes. Well, you know, we're going to go back to the time before the flood, what's called the antediluvian period. Henry Morris said, the gentle rolling topography of the world as originally created will be restored. No more will there be great, inaccessible, uninhabitable mountain ranges or deserts or ice caps. The physical environment of the millennial, uh, millennial kingdom will be in large measure a restoration of the antediluvian or the pre-flood environment, end quote. So we're going to have a world that's, you know, and if that's true, then the highest place on the face of the planet could very well be what? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Can you imagine what a visual that will be? I mean, to see the city of Jerusalem lifted up literally on a mountain when the whole earth is like a plane and we're going to be coming up to Jerusalem every year on a highway called Holiness. And as you walk... On this highway, you're going to see in the distance the city of Jerusalem lifted up, the city of the great king. And then I think we're going to be using those songs of ascent again. Uh, what is it, Psalm 120 through 135 or something right around there? When they went, made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem in the Old Testament, you know, a lot of pilgrims came every uh, year for the Passover or Feast of Tabernacles or, or uh, in the summertime, the Feast of Pentecost. And as they got near the city and they had to start moving up, you know, as the city of Jerusalem is 1,200 feet above sea level, they would begin to sing these songs of ascent. We're going to be singing the songs of ascent as we ascend up to the city of the great king during the millennial kingdom. Verse 21, but we're not finished yet. And great hail from heaven fell upon men. I mean, wow. I'm not sure who's left by this point. But there's people left still, you know, railing against God. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since the, that plague was exceedingly great. So those who have escaped all these judgments now, well, they face another judgment that is unlike anything that the world has ever seen in history they will be pelted with huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each that will hurtle down from heaven upon them. The Greek term translated about 100 pounds describes the most weight a normal man could carry. So a talent varied in weight. It was anywhere from about 90 pounds to 135 pounds. So you go take your pick. The Jewish talent was about 98 pounds, so about roughly 100 pounds, right? 
The largest hailstones ever recorded were two pounds, and they wiped out everything. Can you imagine hailstones that are 50 times larger? You know, verse 9 says that men refused to repent of their sin, and they blasphemed the God of heaven, right? Do you know what the penalty for blasphemy was in the Old Testament? Stoning. Verse 21. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. You know, it's incredible the hardness of the human heart, especially at this point in history. I mean, at this point, these people's hearts are so hard. I mean, they have totally sold their souls to the devil. They have totally committed themselves to the Antichrist, blasphemous, idolatrous, anti-God, anti-Christ system. I mean, they're totally children of wrath. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.